one program note, if I can do this. Take your programs. As you came in, you should have received one. And uh, open it up on the front flap. I've got uh, mine circled. It says adult ministries. Let's see a word about this. Um, we recognize that as we've gone through this series that we've probably raised more questions than we've answered related to the Word of God for some. And uh, we can't address all of those things in 32 minutes on a weekend, but we can do it over an extended time. And Mike Vogt, uh, a member in our body, gifted in apologetics and an outstanding Bible teacher. Mike and I have been to South Sudan many times together. Mike has offered to uh, teach a four-week study where he's going to tackle some of these apologetic questions around the Bible that you may have. And so you'll note here we're going to kick this off on March 8th during the 935 service. So, you know, if you, you can go during this service, you can go over to the barn and be in that adult Bible study. And uh, I want to encourage you to do it. I want you to know this as well. There's other re- another reason we're doing that is because we, we hope to do that ongoing. We're going to do this for four weeks, and we'll pick up uh, another topic or, or study, so to speak. Is because I know a lot of us um, attend fellowship and then just kind of drive away. And, and while there are a number of connection points at fellowship from community groups to women's study, men's study, Bible studies, other things, some of you just haven't connected in that way. And so trying to offer you an opportunity to go over during this service and you know we'll, we can hold 200 people over here but to be someone you know you want to have a cup of coffee with someone and, and, and just get to know someone that you worship with I want to invite you to do that during uh, during that time it'll be uh, it's, it's informal in the sense that Michael teach but it's really about sitting around some tables with a group of your peers or, or, or friends or people you know, and then interacting around that, and then interacting with the teacher on that topic, okay? So I just want to give you a little bit of taste of, of what that uh, hour and 10 minutes will be like uh, each Sunday, and you are welcome uh, to join in that. I know that we've been standing a lot, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. We have been reciting and confessing from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that our reason for being is about the glory of God and enjoying Him, and that we get there through His Word. That's what this series has been about. So I'll ask the question, and I'm going to ask you to respond, confess from the heart. What is the chief end of man? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Thank you. You may be seated. We live in a day when religious pluralism uh, is not only politically correct, but I would suggest it's in the eyes of many, if not most, become morally correct. Like this is the only right way to see things, even within the church. Pluralism, when used in its religious context, is the belief that all religions are equal and equally true. Pluralism as a religious value holds that for for one faith to say this is true and everything else is wrong 
Religious pluralism is that view that says, wait a minute, I thought religion is supposed to be about tolerance, acceptance, unity. We love each other. Uh, In our day to say that Jesus is the only way to God is often seen as, at best, offensive. And, And wouldn't you say at worst it's viewed as, you know... That we're ignorant, that we're idiots, that you're, you're bigots, you know. Lifeway Research did a survey two years ago. They asked a thousand Protestant pastors to respond on a continuum from strongly disagree. And the continuum moved all the way over to strongly agree. Okay, so this is the continuum. Thousand Protestant, Lifeway, by the way, the arm of Southern Baptist research arm, asked a thousand Protestant pastors this question. If a person is sincerely seeking God, he or she can obtain eternal life through religions other than Christianity. 77% of Protestant pastors strongly disagreed with that. I don't think that's good news, quite frankly. Well, then they ask the congregants... So now that you're ask, they're asking you, you know, they're asking us, so they're asking us the same question. If a person is sincerely seeking God, he or she can obtain eternal life through religions other than Christianity. 48% strongly disagree. Now again, I kind of go, yikes. I think we're pretty normal. I don't know where you stand. But what's troubling on that is that, you know, at least 25% of Protestant pastors have taken one foot off the exclusivity of the gospel. And half of these Protestant congregations have taken one foot off the exclusivity of the gospel. I said earlier, this is not a gray area. Uh, The stakes could not be higher. We can, on this issue, agree to disagree. But we're talking about salvation. This is the next to the last message in our series, The Word of God, Written, Living, Active. We've asked the question, what does the Bible say about itself? Because that's the most important question to ask. Bill's going to do a review next week. So he's going to ask some of you to share. Well, how have you been challenged, changed? And what are you wrestling with as we've gone through this study? So I say that just to get you thinking and praying about that as that approaches next week. My prayer as we consider the doctrine today is that we will know. I'm talking like no, right? No, deep down in our souls. That this doctrine is rooted and grounded in the character, heart, and purposes of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Such that this doctrine stands on this book. And when we, when we grasp that and we believe it, I do believe that we can hold this doctrine uh, with, with, with neither arrogance nor apology but with compassion and with tremendous courage. Our primary text today is found in John's Gospel, so I'll ask you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. 
John 14, 1 through 6. First, uh, just a little bit of context because we're kind of jumping in, right? Right in the middle of the book. Well, where are they? What's going on? Well, this is a very intimate gathering with Jesus and his closest followers. It's the upper room discourse. Eleven of his closest friends sitting in a small room receiving the worst news of their lives. It's a dark evening. Their private time with Jesus in the upper room has been one piece of bad news after another. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to betray me. Or or Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. And Matthew tells us, he looks at all of them and says, by the way, everyone, all you guys, you're all going to desert me before the night is over. Ooh, well, a great pass the dessert. Let's have some more wine. You know, it's like, uh, the, the, I'm trying to get us to understand that their dream three years ago, their dream, it's not just ending. We're going to follow the rabbi. It's, gonna, it's not just ending. Their dream has become a nightmare. You can imagine uh, what's going on in their hearts. Jesus actually knows what's going on in their hearts. And so he addresses it. Follow along in your Bibles. Look at um, chapter 14, verse 1. And I'll read it. Jesus is speaking. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And here's the statement. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, I'm going to say a little more about the context, but I want to speak for a moment about the content. He speaks so clearly, so precisely, so forthrightly about the exclusivity of the gospel that you would have to close your ears, shut your eyes, put your head in the sand, do somersaults. I don't, you just have to go crazy to not see what he said. Can, can we agree with that? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I want you to understand that there, there are no manuscript problems with this verse. There is no grammatical nuances. Man, if you knew the Greek, you'd understand what he's saying is there's none of that. There's no cultural problem. Like, like well, if you lived in that culture, you'd know in that culture you say one thing and mean... No, 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 no. It says exactly what it says. Notice the, the definite article. Jesus said, I am... The way, the truth, the life. Again, he could have said, I'm a way, I'm a truth. No, he's the way, the truth. By the way, notice the phrase, that verse breaks into two parts. 
Okay, just look at it. There's a positive statement. Okay, I want you guys to know I'm the way, the truth, the life. And do you see the back end? What's the back end? In case you don't get it in a positive sense, let me tell you in the negative sense. No one comes to the Father but through me. Remember a few weeks ago, speaking on the clarity of Scripture, I made this comment that what matters most is most clear. I want to suggest to you that this verse is in ultra HD. Okay? There's just no fuzz on it at all. This verse on its own, I believe, is strong enough to hold the doctrine. Just this verse could hold the doctrine. But, of course, we want to say, well, does the whole Bible teach this? And it's a wonderful question, and the answer is absolutely. I won't go through the whole thing, but Jesus summarizes the Old Testament in two places in the Gospels. In John 5, 39, don't turn there, I'm just going to read it. He speaks to the religious leaders, and he says this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these, by the way, what's he talking about when he says you search the Scriptures? He's talking about the Old Testament, it's these that speak of me. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? Jesus is, joins these two disciples walking to Emmaus. They, they're just dejected. It's over. Oh, I came to an end. I thought he was the guy. I guess he wasn't. Jesus joins them. There's now three walking. And Jesus, it says in Luke 24, verse 24, with these two, it says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He took the Old Testament and said, Look, beginning in Genesis, all the way through the prophets, it's all about me. Flip in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Go to the right, the book of Acts chapter 4. I want you to turn to this one if you would please. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel in the temple. The religious leaders come and grab them and say, y'all can't do that. Stop that. Bring them into jail. Okay? Bring them out. Put them before all the religious leaders and say, what in the world are you doing? Whose, whose name are you doing this in? What is this all about? They preach the gospel, but I want you to note... Uh, Acts 4, verse 12. How do they end their defense? And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I would suggest that in that upper room, they may not have heard it. They may have been distracted when Jesus said, I'm the way. But I'm going to tell you something. They got it. And it's evidence in how they preached it. Flip over to the right again to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Going past Romans, Corinthians, and Ephesians. Get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Okay? And you're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes Timothy and says, Pray for leaders, pray for everyone. Why pray for everyone, Paul? Because God wants to save them. Pray for them. Notice what. Paul writes, beginning in verse 3, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, how is a man saved? What's the truth? Verse 5, there is one God and, what's the number? How many? And say it out loud. There's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. 
Back to John 14. John 14, verse 6. Uh, for time's sake, I just want to cut to the quick on, on this in this verse. It seems that in their darkest moment, and, and I, would, this, I think this is their, dar- their, their darkest moment as things unfold, what they needed to know was that Jesus is the only way. That what they believed about him was true and he's the only way. I don't want you to miss this contextually too. Their day was a day of pluralism. Listen, it's not like, you know, in their day, you understand people believed in multiple gods. Just like in our day, so to speak. You understand in their day, people worshiped the emperor. You want to talk about pressure on you? You want to talk about, hey, hey, Jesus is the only way. And when you worship the emperor, you, you want to talk about feeling the heat to say that? They did. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I, he, he hands it to them clearly. Don't forget this too. It's, it's right on the verge of the crucifixion. So can you imagine how their faith is going to be tested from this moment over the next few days. Can you imagine? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And what happens in just a few days? Well, the, the way is now hanging on a cross. The truth, Jesus said, I'm the truth. Well, the truth has now been defeated because all these lies came against him and boom, the truth is gone. You know, the truth is hanging on a cross. And, and the life, where's the life? He's wrapped in a shroud, he's put in a tomb, and a stone's over it. Can you imagine what they're doing? What are they doing? What are they doing with that? Oh my gosh, he said he's the life. And then of course he rises from the grave. And you and I, with them today, we stand on this side. If time moves this way, here's the cross and resurrection. We stand on this side of it. Golly, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we're able to look back and go, well, well he, he is the way. He is, the truth won out. And the death he died, it couldn't hold him. He couldn't hold him. Why? Because he's the son of God and he rose and he lives forever. He's speaking to those who know him. And so I want to say to you, he's speaking to us right now, if you know Christ. You know, normally this verse is used in an evangelistic context. Normally it's kind of like, you know, it's not Jesus standing on the corner going, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, no one gets to God. You know, it's not, he's not doing that. He's talking to his followers. Which means he's talking to most of us in the room. And he could hardly be stronger or more clear. Jesus tells us that the exclusivity of the gospel is not, y'all, it's not something to be embarrassed by. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not something to be troubled by. Like, yeah, we got this problem. We got, it's, not, it's not a problem. It's, it's that which we can be absolutely confident in. And I'm going to talk about this. We must be. I want to suggest that our struggle today with the exclusivity of the gospel is more emotional than it is intellectual. 
What do I mean? I mean, I think it's more about how we relate to others than it is about rational reasoning. Now, here's what we know. Listen, that the Christian life is about the whole person. It, it, it matters what we think rationally, but understand it connects to our emotional life, our relational life. It, it's all one. So you can't just take your head and live the Christian life. You got to take it all, right? So let me address the rational side first. It matters. I asked this last night uh, at, at the service. I said, y'all, re- y'all remember when I was in Luke, I talked about the law of non-contradiction, right? Y'all remember that? And three people raised their hands. So I am not even going to ask you if you remember. I'm assuming you do, you know, we remember that. Well, the law of non-contradiction is that which, and I don't think I'm speaking in hyperbole here. I mean, there's no truth or reason without it. I mean, I'm not talking Christian or anything. I'm just talking truth. The law of non-contradiction is stated like this. Something cannot be true and not true at the same time in the same way. We're we're all reasonable people in here. The law of non-contradiction is like this. Lloyd is standing in front of you on the stage. Is that a description of reality? I'm not trying to trick you, is it? Yes, it is. Lloyd is standing on the stage. That's true. This is true. Lloyd is not standing on the stage in front of you. Is that true? No. See, Lloyd is standing on, on the stage in front of you. Lloyd is not standing on the stage in front of you. Law of non-contradiction. They both can't be true at the same time in the same way. we got two different things going on here. Okay? Let's apply the law of non-contradiction just a tiny fraction of, a, of a faith, of religion. Okay? So... So the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. Islam says that Jesus was, was a man. Okay. Christianity, we believe the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross. Why did he die? Because he died a substitutionary death for us. Islam says that they, they don't think Jesus died on the cross, you see. Now... Just fact. Let's just deal in reality here for a moment. Law of non-contradiction. Christianity can't be true and Islam's true at the same time in the same way. Is everybody with me on this? Right? This just reasonable people go, that's, man, that's just true. So either Christianity is true and Islam is false or take any other religion or and I'm going to I want you to go here for a moment or Islam is true okay this is reason and Christianity is false okay that's possible or Christianity and Islam are both false they're both wrong but you cannot say that they're both true is everyone with me Okay, so so it's just utterly reasonable. So religious pluralism, you see, when that's irrational. Okay, so so if someone, you know, kind of disses you or dismisses you or despairs you or looks at like you don't have a brain when you say, you know, Christianity is true and the other ones are false, don't take that. I mean, don't don't punch them back, you know, but I'm just saying, but don't, but you just go. You do understand you're being irrational, not me. 
not me, you are, you know. Hey, you don't have a brain. No, don't do that, you know, <laughs> at all. But I'm just, we're trying to be reasonable people. The law of non-contradiction, they both cannot be true at the same time in the same way. Well, the real challenge comes, I think, at the relational heart level, I think. And again, it's important because, listen, our faith's not just with our head, y'all. It's not. It's with our heart. Let me say this, because I said this, I'm going to grab this. If you say to me, Lloyd, well, your, your Christianity is true for you. Let me, let me just hit this, right? Okay, somebody may be saying that, and that's great. And if you haven't trusted Christ, please, I'm glad you're here. And would you consider this? You're right. Christianity is true for me. And I'm just going to, I would ask a person this. I would just say, look, follow the evidence. Christianity, y'all, we don't just blindly go, I don't understand. It doesn't make much sense to me, but I got to believe it. You know, that's not Christianity. Christian faith is to say, I'm going to investigate, is this truly reliable? Is there external, internal, historic, empirical evidence that Jesus lived, died, and rose again? Is it, you see, follow the evidence. And, I, and I, I follow the evidence. I believe it. If you follow the evidence and you come to the place where you go, well, you know, I, I don't think that. I think the Koran or whatever book is, that evidence seems more reliable than okay, right? But just follow the, follow the evidence. I'm not asking anyone. No one asks anyone to just blindly believe in nothing, I would suggest. And even as we've gone through the study... There is no other truth as historically verifiable, reliable, internally consistent, externally verified in the truths of Scripture. Okay, back to the heart thing. We've got to live with our head and our heart. And so you've got a friend, you've got a neighbor, you've been living with him, you know, next to him for about a year, and your kids go to the same school together, play on the same ball teams, everything's great. And, and you know, I don't know, they're, they're, they're Jewish, or, you know, they're, they're Muslim, or, you know, they're Buddhist, I don't know. But, you know, one day you're having cookout behind your house, and everything's great, kids are playing. But, you know, in this awkward moment, the neighbor turns to you and just says, well, Jared, man, if I understand it, if I, don't, if I don't trust what you believe, I don't believe I'm a Christian, then, then you're saying I'm going to hell. And you're saying that Sue's going to hell. And you're saying that Billy, Bob, and Sally are all, they're all going to, Jared, they're all going to hell. My, my parents, you're, you're just telling me my parents are going to hell? Yep. <laughs> y'all, y'all hear this? This is a problem when you pick the wrong person to use their name. Jared. You know, it may not be that extreme, but have we all not kind of felt that, well, 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 well what I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, of course, Jared's not going to have a problem with it, but others of us may, and, and we feel challenged. Let me say this, I don't have enough time to address it all, but don't fear that, don't fear that question, because if your heart, okay, no, no track with me on this, if your heart is the great commandment, and it's to love people. Then you just keep loving them. Now, we believe that the most loving thing is that they come to faith, but if, if you're at, see, it's all about your attitude, your heart, your posture. I mean, I mean, is your neighbor a project that you want to convert? I'm going to tell you something. That's not right. Are they people you love? That's right. And if you're growing in your faith, if you're walking in the power of the Spirit, then, then don't fear the response when it comes, or the question when it comes, because the Spirit will give you grace and kindness and compassion to engage that. Okay, close your Bibles. 
This is going to be a little, little different, maybe a little odd. You're going to have to stick with me, but I just want to, I'm going to tell you a story, and, and, and I hope this helps in some way to keep our hearts in the right place as we hold to the exclusivity of the gospel. I got a call this week from Lisa. She called me. I'm, I'm at work here, and she said, Lloyd, we, we've got a bird in the playroom. And I, and, and I go, oh, gosh. And so, so we had my, one of my daughters had a friend spending the night, and, and her friend apparently is almost like allergic, phobic of birds. And so, you know, she's going crazy. And I've got a dog, you know, and uh, this, my, my dog is up there. And so when Lisa's talking to me on the phone, all I, I, she's going, there's a bird in the thing. And all I can hear is, duck, 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 and I can, ah, ah. you know, it's just like, all this stuff. She goes, you're going to come home and get the bird out. So I said, okay, I'm going to come home. So I, I drive home to uh, get the bird out of the, uh, of the playroom. Some of, you are, some of you are going, how does a bird get in your playroom? Well, let me tell you, there's a door on our garage. Uh, I'm going to describe this visually. There's a door that opens from the outside, and you go in this regular door into the garage. And then straightway, though, from that door, about four steps, is another door that opens. When you open that door, you go three steps, and then you go up the stairs to the playroom. Okay, so you got this, you got this door here that you know, just can go straight in. And some of you are still going, well, Lloyd, why would a bird just go straight through that door up here? <laughs> well, this winter I actually have these two birds that are living in my garage. And I hadn't got them out yet, you know. In the mornings when I let my dog out, I let my birds out. You know, just, <laughs> Lisa goes, when are you going to get rid of these birds, all this stuff in the garage? So anyway, so it wasn't a total shock, the birds in the playroom. So I go home and I open the door to the outside. And then there's the opening, open the door to the inside, and then there's the opening straight up the stairs. And then I asked Lisa to go get a sheet, because right here, this way, is another doorway that leads to the kitchen and the rest of the house. And I said, I'm going to got to block this off. So I take the sheet and I pin it up, you know, so that it's blocking this wall. So now there's just, from the upstairs playroom, there's just the stairs, you know, through that, and then to the one open door to go out, okay? So I go upstairs, and I've got a broom. And I'm, I'm just trying to move the bird, you know, and, and uh, so I go, the bird's going from windowsill to windowsill in the playroom, and, and I am, I'm, this is, I'm not exaggerating this, I probably did it for 10 minutes, and I just couldn't get it to go, and, um, you know, I got, it would be on a windowsill about right here, and, and I would stick the broom in, and I'm trying to get it to go down the, the stairs, which are right there, and I wanted the bird to live, okay? This is, I, I, I just, I, I, I didn't want to, some of you, some of you are questioning me on this, but I did. I just go, because uh, I could have, uh, what could I have done? I mean, I could just wham, bam, the bird, take the bird, we got problem solved. But, you know, I want the bird to live, and I just wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get out. And so I'm standing here, and after about 10 minutes, I'm, I'm doing this, and I just, I pop, boom, I pop it. I just happened to pop it. Boom, the bird goes down, and it's on the stairs. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, okay, let me go. I go down the stairs to grab it. When I go down to grab it on the stairs, it's no longer flying. It's just hopping, hops down the stairs, goes down the stairs. So now when it hops down the stairs, I'm trying to get it. Because it's on the ground, the sheet had put up to keep it from going to the other rooms. It just goes right under it into the kitchen. <laughs> I know. And so I, I just burst through the sheet and I literally just, I grabbed the bird. I got the bird. Now I've got the bird. Now I didn't crush it, but I had the bird. And I'm holding it, you know, gently. And I kid you not, this bird, this bird looked like this. Its mouth was open like that, you know, and it's got this little bit of beak, and it's harsh. And I'm thinking, it's gonna die of shock. I mean, it's gonna, maybe it's not breathing, you know. 
So I take the bird, I go out, I go out the door, I go set the bird on the deck, and I literally go back in the house and I watch the bird for about 10 minutes, because I, I didn't know if this bird was going to live. I thought it was just going to sit there for a while and then finally just go, <laughs> you know, just be dead. But after, again, you know, 10 minutes, the bird flew away. Okay. Ooh, nice story. Okay, well, but we're talking about the exclusivity of the gospel. I know it's silly, but stick, stick with me. And this is, you know, there's goofiness of things I say. I know that. I'm not trying to get blood from this illustration, and there's not blood to get. But there's some, there's some correspondence, not all. Stay with me. It, it, I really did want, I wanted the bird to live. And I, I wanted it to get, now track with me again. I wanted the bird to get to freedom. I just wanted the bird to, I just wanted the bird to, be and do what it was made to be and do. And I knew this. There's one door on the house. One. That the bird needed to go through to get to where it needed to be. Every other door was a dead end. I mean, the bird could, you know, crawl through the kitchen, go into the other parts of the house. He's going to die. He's not going to live in my house. What if, rather than using a broom, just imagine, what if I were able to become a bird and remain a man? And I could fly up to the bird. <laughs> hey, man, I know you want to get out of here. I know, I know the way. <laughs> like just, just follow me, man. I'm going to fly you right down. Look, we're going to go down these stairs. See that door? We're going to go right through that door. We're going to be... What, what if? And some of you are giggling, going, Lloyd, it's just a bird. I know. And the psalmist said to God, what is man that you take thought of him? Who are we that God would take thought of us? And the son of man, hmm, that you care for him. See, God's word tells us that he's holy, just, sinless, pure, true. And the Bible tells us that we got a problem with sin because we're not holy, just, sinless, or true. We're all liars, all, all of us. We're separated from him. The Bible tells us that every person on the planet, every person in the room, you see, is born <laughs> trapped in the playroom, flying from window to window, shelf to shelf, trying to get out, trying to, trying to be free. Of, you know, and so we go from spot to spot, but there's just this one door you can go through and what do we do? Prone to wander. We avoid it. The Bible tells us that God so loves every person on the planet that he became a man. You think it's silly? You think it's goofy for me to go, what if I became a bird? Listen, we've gone to infinite, inf infinite foolishness in our minds to think, but think about it, that God would become a man. And you know when Christ became a man, do you understand that he's still a man? It's not like Christ said, well, I'll go down there and save him, but I can't wait to get this body off of me. This is, I don't like this thing. You don't, no, 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 no. You See, when he became a man, 
flesh. You know, he's, he's always forever now that. Why? Because he so loves us. He took on flesh. He had to be God because our, our penalty deserved infinite wrath. You see, he had to be God, but he had to be a man because a man had to die in a man's place. See, God, Jesus is the only one, the only one. Who could satisfy our greatest problem? The fact that there's just one door. Can I say this? Yes, that is, you know what? That's a really narrow fact, isn't it? You know what a narrow fact is? It's called a truth. And only the truth can set us free. There is no other man who's ever walked this planet who can solve our greatest problem. Y'all, I'm not trying to be mean at all, but listen, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, you just name them. They died and they stayed dead. Only one, only one rose from the grave never to die again because he had no sin. To throw open the door, to throw open other doors, because, you know, it's uncomfortable to hold the exclusivity of the gospel. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. You know, I don't, I don't want to be perceived as arrogant, you know. I, to, to, to do that is to actually close the only door that is open. Why do I say that? Because if, G, if, there's, if there's another way to God, then Jesus Christ died needlessly. That's a fact. If there's other ways, he, he didn't need to die. This is not the time to throw open other doors. Gang, I, I, can I exhort us and myself? This is the time to throw open the one door and stand in it with great compassion and courage. It is the antithesis of love to move one iota off the exclusivity of the gospel. So you want to move off the exclusivity of the gospel. That's, you go, well, because that's love. That's not love. That's the antithesis of love. Because you've then closed the door on the only door that's open, Jesus. So what? Well, what, what do we do with that? Well, let me ask you to pause just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to move that truth from your head to your heart to your hands, to your feet. What does it look like for you to stand on the exclusivity of the gospel? Would you consider that for just a moment, please? Take a moment and think about that. Let's stand together. I will send you out with one last word from the word.
don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. It's Revelation 5, an amazing, you know, picture of heaven, John's vision. Uh, there is a scroll that John gets upset because it can't be opened. By the way, it's these scrolls that are judgments that need to be opened. John says in Revelation 5, it says, verse 4, it says, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found, here's the key word, worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. You understand that's describing Jesus, okay? And then I just want you to listen to the content of the praise that breaks out at this moment. It is the heavenly host. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, this is G- worthy are you Jesus, the lamb, the lion, <laughs> the lion of Judah. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your own blood. Men, here's the key, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You, Jesus, have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I, I want to remind us that heaven is pluralistic. It's not a bad word. Heaven is plural. Every tongue and tribe and nation you see will be in heaven. But we won't all be there and everyone won't be there because they followed their own path. No, no, no. We'll be there because we bowed the knee to the one, the one, the one who is worthy and purchased us with his blood, you see. May we proclaim the gospel, the exclusivity of the gospel with compassion and courage though it cost us our life, that others may truly live. God bless.